Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. The first time people start asking me questions about cooking, I was like, what? Oh, I don't know anything about cooking. And then I was like, I would tell people I have no idea. And then I'm like, wait, maybe it's my job to find out. And so I started looking up the answers to these questions and saying, well, I think, you know, according to this, it could be this, but like, you're on your own. If you do this, I can't like be responsible for what happens. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Matt Rodbard, here with Senior Editor Anna Hiesel. So on today's show, we have Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen, one of the original food blogs, right? Oh, yeah. Deb is the OG. She's like the Richard Haller talking heads of food blogging. Um, we have a really wide-ranging interview here um, to a packed house at Books Are Magic. Um, we talked about uh, her house cookie recipe, which is pretty cool. Yeah? What is it like? Uh, it's just a really big cookie that she makes often for her family, and she calls it her house cookie recipe. Love that. Think big. Yeah, think big. Um, We also talk about food media. You know, she has a very particular way of doing things. She doesn't really do spawn con or take junkets. And she's all about her fans and readers. And I really respect that. And later on in the show, I share a personal memory about Anthony Bourdain. Here's Matt talking to Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen at Books Are Magic in Brooklyn. Thanks for showing up tonight. Deb Perelman in the house right here. Hi. In the kitchen. Hi. I wanted to, I have bullet points about reasons why I love you and what you do. And I think there's plenty of that sh- folks in the audience who share this. So, we can just skip that part. Yeah. Oh. I mean, you got the intro there. But this is like, first off, you launched in 2006 as like one of the original food bloggers. And you're like the establishment. You're like the Ramones and Richard Hell of food blogging. I'm like the grandmother of food blogging. Like, grandmother. Look, I've got some tissues in my sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like, that was, we'll talk about some of your peers and where they've ended up and where you, kind of you've maintained and grown. But I love that. I also love that the way you write, you you actually shout out media often and like, you you are one of us and but you unlike some cookbooks where it's like always in the test kitchen of Melissa Clark, which is great, you're like, I read an issue of Gourmet and here is this recipe from Gourmet. No, I think of it as a porous thing. Like you it's it's not just, oh, I invented this dish. Like I wanna hear what other people have to yeah. say about it. Yeah, I think it's far more interesting if you talk about like what's been written in this book yeah. and what's been written. Like it puts a better pick it's a But like you also call it like like you were like Peter Meehan went and had, you know, Polini in Brighton Beach and here's where here's where I like here's my version of it. Like you, you shout out Vu fifty two, you shout out Bon Appetit, you absorb media and but you always give it your own spin. And I think that's like explain what is that spin? Like what is the smitten kitchen spin on on a recipe that you're taking from I'm lazy. <laughs> I don't like doing dishes. I um I feel like my my only point of view is just my like my own, <laughs> but also just like a very much a home cook 
point of view, like a, you've had a yeah. long day, you don't, you want something special. I think that, you know, there's so much focus on 20 minute meals and we all need them sometimes. But I also think that if something takes 40 minutes, it's okay. As long as those 20 minutes like really got you something, like if I promise you it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I just want somebody to explain why I would use my time a certain way and then let me decide versus like an arbitrary, like I'm obsessed with this idea of somebody tells me it's like a seven ingredient recipe and I'm like, what was the eighth? Yeah. Maybe I have it. Like it could be good. <laughs> okay. So like you don't write like you've memorized the ev aisles of Calustians. Like you're not like arrogant and elitist about like, you don't like show off, but but you have memorized the Isle of Calusian. I have actually. So you that's, have that's the one thing I've done. <laughs> I mean, I think, but I just my point is that you you have this like really really deep deep foundation and knowledge about food, but you don't show off. And thank you for being one of the rare food writers who doesn't show off because I think too many of them do that. Thank you. I don't I don't actually have the confidence to, but yeah. But you could you could we could, we can call it humility. <laughs> um, I call it insecurity. <laughs> a couple things too. You 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 made this giant oatmeal cookie. Like your famous giant oatmeal cookie. Has anyone made the giant oatmeal cookie in the audience? There's a lot of nodding. so you can make it as one cookie. By the way, they wouldn't let me make any more changes to the book, but it's actually even cooler as a six inch cookie. You bake it for two minutes longer. <laughs> I love it so, and you call it your house cookie recipe. <laughs> Like the house cookie recipe. Why? I can't. Don't you have? Don't don't you want a house cookie? First, I actually I would like a house, but then I would uh, yeah. after that after that, I don't. I'm not, it's a it's a it's a crappy little apartment cookie. Sorry. Walk up <laughs> rental. Okay. Last thing is like at three forty one this afternoon, you were in your comment section talking about loaf pans, like with your commenters. <laughs> so like you weren't like out like looking at fancy apartments you're gonna buy with your like two hundred and fifty thousand books you've sold this year. Like you are engaged with your audience i think that in your community like how did that happen like did you just feel like you needed to answer every email and answer every comment can't stop like I, i'm really bad at email but yeah i started in the beginning and i can't stop i um when somebody asks me a question if i can answer it i will um but it is definitely like i, I have to like catch up like i sometimes i'm worried that people are going to see the timestamps. like i'm checking <laughs> but i'll just do a batch and i'll like get into the flow of it and i'll try to you know catch up i think it's kind of cool and i think it's something that my site can offer that not, you know, every magazine and newspaper can, which is that if you ask a question about the recipe, I'll try to answer it. The first time people start asking me questions about cooking, I was like, what? Oh, I don't know anything about cooking. I just shared, like, I've only made, I literally only made like the 10 things this that were on my Wikipedia site. Wikipedia too. You yeah. You can look it up. Yeah. No, you can't even fake it. Like, <laughs> and then I was like, I would tell people I have no idea. And then I'm like, wait, maybe it's my job to find out. And so I started looking up the answers to these questions and saying, well, I think, you know, according to this, it could be this. But like, you're on your own. If you do this, I can't like be responsible for what happens. And then over the years, like you, you know, do that times all the, you know, decades, you know, <laughs> millennia I've, I've yeah. been food blogging. And it turned out now I know some things. You know some things for sure. And I think you are a one woman show. And that's like, that's a reason why it works. Do you want to keep it like that? I mean, do you want to keep it pretty small? Yeah, I'd like to. Um, mostly I'd like to have a career. Um, I sort of came into the food thing having tried a few things and kind of hating everything and not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. And then I found this thing that I like to do. And now I just kind of want to keep doing it. So when I think of when I make decisions about the site or what I want to do, it's always like, can I keep doing it? Can I maintain it? Like, is this just like a short burst that'll wear me out? Or is this something sustainable? So that's that's generally where the decisions come from. And like sponsored content, you don't do it. 
you don't do spawn con hashtag spawn con <laughs> right like you don't know do i don't i know i won't I don't. <laughs> you won't and you don't. I, I feel like at this point I can say I won't. I feel like if I got to the point that that was the only thing that was going to work, I would just try to find a way to make this just like a side hobby again. You're not going to do that though, right? It doesn't come. Because at this point, I don't know what else I do. So I'd be like, can you hire me? <laughs> I want to hear about your day-to-day. I'm a really bad copy editor. <laughs> this wasn't going to be my first question because that was the introduction part. But the first question comes from Anna Hazel, my colleague. It's not mine, but I think it's quite good and pertinent so like we're gonna play the game of fuck marry kill let's play that game (laughs) okay fuck marry kill instant pot sous vide circulator and air fryer um right on (laughs) i guess i mean i guess this is it we're gonna have this is the moment where deb goes on record as saying that she would fucking instant pot like i think that's kind of this is the big moment this is the this is the defining line in my career yes i'm definitely instant pot uh or i guess no it's mary Oh, God. Okay, so that means I'm marrying a sous vide machine. I don't want to marry a sous vide okay. machine. So, so reverse it. it. We'll All right, so we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna fuck a sous vide machine, and then we're going to marry the Instapot, and then we're going to kill the, the air, air fryer. fryer. I don't know what that is, but it just doesn't sound like the French fries that I've known and loved. <laughs> I just think if I'm going to fry, I'm going to go for it. You're going to actually use the oil and not like And it's funny because I'm thinking of like the stereotypical sous vide user, yeah. and it tends to be a lot of like actually fairly handsome men that I know. So maybe it's not. <laughs> Those guys maybe... on chef steps are point yeah. strapping. <laughs> I'm thinking like weekday and weekend and we I want to know like when you're developing recipes and you're cooking at home um I think you like parse the way you cook during the week and then you and the way you cook during the weekend there's two different mindsets right yeah, I actually tend not to cook that much on the weekend unless yeah. it's like really cold or we're just like vegging and we're yeah. craving something specific or I'm more likely to use weekend cooking to like make stuff way back in the archives that like just like old school stuff. But during the week, I've got like the recipe development hat on. And so I'm usually trying to make new things or work on things that I'm trying to get right, um, you know, experimenting on my family as one yeah. does. Um, but on the weekends, I mean, I think because it's very much like a Monday through Friday job for me, on the weekends, I'm usually like out at the park with the kids and trying to do things that are not standing in a kitchen. And so I'm not going to be home or getting groceries at 4 p.m. so we can eat dinner at 6. We're usually eating out. You, you, so you do eat out? Oh, of course. Oh, my God. I eat out all the time. I would eat out so much more if I didn't have a, a two-year-old. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You don't want you don't want her at rest. She's like what people write stories about people bringing kids to restaurants about. Like all those stories you hear about kids on planes and kids in restaurants. Like it's actually because of my daughter. <laughs> so when you're looking at like your recipe development schedule, I mean, do you plan ahead? Do you have like a content strategy, or do you like what's the creative process for developing these recipes? Okay, so there is like the list. The list is like Ooh. is like 2,000 recipe ideas that I've been jotting down for like 15 years. Google Doc. Yeah, it's like a Google Doc. Google and Doc. it's just like it just like if you were to print it, it's probably like 37 pages. And what I do is I'll either I will usually the things near the top or the things I'm thinking about working on right now. Either I'm like, you know, I'm really craving this or I want to get back to this. And sometimes it's like. Last time I tried to make crispy rice, I might add some notes in there. If it's a more fleshed out recipe, it would be saved as like a document. Um, But so I tend to that's really like the brain of everything. And when I get a new idea or I see something I like in a cookbook, I jot down the page and the book and what it is. And then every so often I like I have 
too much celery and I'll like word search through it trying to see what oh. some of the celery ideas are and That's see fun. if there's honestly most of these ideas are probably terrible but I'd like there were just something there was something I like sometimes it was just the look of the dish and I don't even want to make it with those ingredients the, like the aesthetic like it's like a, yeah like i just like the look or i'm like i love the look of this and i want to make this with this this is what what like what's the look like without the components i don't know i Explain it's this. Some, I, I, this. i'm trying to think of an example like i saw this beautiful baked polenta with like roasted vegetables on top but i didn't really want to bake the polenta like that or do the vegetables that yeah. way or i was telling you <laughs> basically you nothing pasta about and this. like protein? i like this but nothing about it um i don't know i haven't figured out but i have an idea um i think i need a good rich baked polenta recipe with like but if you could put the right thing on top. Oh, I mentioned right before when we were talking yeah. that I was, I'm trying to tear it and like, um, missing. yeah. Okay. So I'm not really good at making it, but I've yeah. gotten a little bit better. I feel like I've got it down and I really want to just turn it into like Chinese American fried rice. Like a Persian tadig, but done in a Chinese. Yeah. Chinese I want to make fried so, rice. Yeah. That's like something I'm trying to do right now. Not a hundred percent successfully right now. Um, do you use rice with that or? You no, I'm rice? using like yeah. parboiled rice. Um, I rinse it a whole bunch of times. Yeah. I've gotten into the rice rinsing. Like it really, it's kind of gross. Like when you realize how like foggy you it is. Wash you it like got four it. times. Yeah. I think I did it like seven tonight. Um, <laughs> Save the water though, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Use it for sets for stocks. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. I don't know. I'm <laughs> bullshitting. Gonna Total like, bullshit. Definitely right not going to happen. Um, <laughs> who, who saves things for stocks? Like I'm like, like my kitchen's like the yeah, size of this. That's guy. not going to happen. Do, I would find it like two months later. Do you save like clippings of the tops of vegetables and scraps of meat? No. I mean, sometimes don't. I think about it. No, I do. Um, also, I will save carcasses or let's say you're not, you're not using all of a chicken or you bought too many parts. I'll definitely save that in a freezer bag, you know, half a carrot, that kind of you thing. I'll do that. Okay. I will do it. I'll put it in the freezer. It's just that sometimes by the time I get to it, it smells so freezery. I don't think it's, it's actually going to make anything good. But I was going to say, um, like, let's talk about your actual recipes. Like, what is a most searched recipe on your site? I'm, I was just like looking at it. I'm like, what is what do people really, really want to search I know what some of the most popular recipes are, but I'm not sure about the search terms. Probably Instapot. Really? So you're I mean, probably Instapot. Is <laughs> an instant pot what? Like is it like, like anything. I feel like people are just they, they email me all the time and tell me I need more recipes for the Instapot. Like straight up you every need, day you're like, you need more Instapot. Yeah, like I get about one email a day. <laughs> like why? Because, why? Because people have I think it's great. They're telling me what to do next. Yeah, like, <laughs> why the instant pot? It's not that instant. I think because I, it's not, not that, instant. that instant. I know. I think we. So now we need to break it down. I don't think it's real. instant. Okay, this is what we're going to talk about. It's not that. It's not instant. It's so misnamed. What it is is that it's hands off. You can come home, put a bunch of things in there. Your little lad. Dee, 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 it makes those like cute little beeping noises. Walk away. It, well, it makes no noise. Yeah. That's the other thing. It makes yeah. no noise. It's really safe and secure. You put a bunch of things in there and you set a few buttons and then you walk away and you just do whatever else you'd like to be doing besides standing in front of a stove. Maybe you haven't been home all day. Maybe you want to check Twitter and find out what's going on now. Maybe you regret checking Twitter and now you're on <laughs> now you're now you're reading the cut.com. So um so you you just go do whatever you want and then it, it like you know beeps when it's ready, which is usually like what 15 minutes for most things. And then it keeps it warm forever. That's true. And you have dinner. And I think that it's that's really what it's about. Um, it's not really. I think it's just really you. You know, to be able to cook with it being hands off. Yeah, I think like it preserves the temperature, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you're saying. Like, yeah, it, it keeps the it. Yeah, you don't have to like. Time. Yeah, it's not going to go bad if you leave it there. Yeah. 
um, let's move on. I want to hear about like the early days of like cook, like recipe blogging, because like it was like you, amateur gourmet or orange jet, like not eating out. Like there were a bunch. There, there were, were a bunch. bunch. You only hear about the survivors. You only hear it's about like the... history. It's <laughs> told I mean, like, kind of like serious eats, like has been sticking around. Yeah, well, I mean, before you know, but before you know, you had Adam Kuban doing, you know, a hamburger today and the slice um, blog, and you had Shay Pim, which was, and now she's this Michelin starred. You know, she's got Kim Cow in San Francisco. Um, so there were a little bunch. There were one, I was, one cookbooks, Heidi Swan. Yeah, she's still around. I mean, there were a lot of there were a lot of food blogs out there yeah. before. Man, I did not feel like a beginner at all. Like I, did, I felt like I was sort of butting in on something that people were doing much better than me. So I didn't expect to stick around. So do you feel like the the energy that was being put into the the like food media world was was different or better then? Like in the golden age, I think that there are still people doing it exactly the way they did back then. But I feel like part of the reason that blogs blew up and it's like we look at it as like blogs must have been interesting or it's the style. I don't think it's really about the style of writing even as much as or what they're writing nearly as much as the fact that when blogs blew up, you didn't have all these legacy publications with decent websites. They were all so slow to the web. I mean, my God, like. Certain major magazine groups are still catching up with the web. They're still like, you know, and writers who were established didn't want to write for the web. And so in this space, you had this void. And when Mm -hmm. self-publishing software came available and people started writing, it just started blowing up. It would go right up the Google results because there was nobody else doing it. And I think that's why, like, uh, nobody who knew nothing about food could start talking about it and, like, build an audience. And I think that that was a lot of why people talk about blocking as a style, but I always just think of it as just self-publishing that came around at a time where there wasn't as much published on the web. And then many years later, after, you know, that blogs started making, some of them started making a lot of money doing it, you know, the publications just kind of woke up and realized that they needed to catch up and they caught up quickly. I mean, it doesn't, you know, with enough money, it doesn't take long to build a really great website and um, build but a then staff. you start putting like really annoying ad units and you start doing like SponCon like and then you kind of lose your audience but you've been able to maintain the audience do you think that is because of your choice I don't think that ads mean that you can't maintain like I doesn't add I don't think I, I had ads in the beginning I looked at like every newspaper every magazine since the beginning every t- tv show that's not on PBS <laughs> has commercials run alongside content it's always been like that so I felt like my site will have ads and whatever it makes it makes but I'm not gonna I'm not selling out to have ads on. I'm just doing what every publication always has. Um. <laughs> so this, let's talk about you. Like, I'm just fascinated in your profile because you, you've sold a lot of books, but you've, you've maintained this kind of under the radar persona. So in The New Yorker, they profiled you. The new book is poised to take Deb into the realm of the lodestars, the Inas, Marthas, Nigellas. She jokingly writes about imagining herself to be. I mean, is this at all your goal do you want to do television do you want to um i don't know i'm really awkward so i'm Come not on, sure that up. i'm nope. like <laughs> not buying that one <laughs> not buying that one <laughs> really awkward and fidgety so i'm not no. really sure i'm i'm not i'm not opposed i think it would just have to be like something that felt right to me and not like this super commercialized shine i think it's very i think it's very hard to go especially the way food tv is these days and not look commodified and packaged but I did this like Food Network web series and we had a lot of conversations about how to 
like we had like we had like a year of conversations about how we could do this yeah. without it looking cheesy. I'm sure like it always is going to look a little bit cheesy, but you know, like how is it going to still look and sound mm-hmm. like you? And so I feel like if you could have that kind of conversation and do TV, maybe, but I don't, I haven't seen anyone do it. Yeah. I think there's like plenty of production companies that can like get your vision. And I'd love to see you do a TV show. I mean, my vision is I just want to hang out with Ina Garten all day. (laughs) And I want her life. Do you think she'll notice? It's mutual, I believe. (laughs) Touch your hair. What are some of your go-to flavor pairings? Like anchovies, garlic lemons, atar yogurt, balsamic, and hard cheese. Like those are some of the things that come to my mind. But do you have any other go-to? All, All those, but I took those. All of I those. took those. So what are your oh, other ones? Shoot, you want me to cre- be creative? I don't know. I feel like I do. I love um, I love doing things with miso and tahini together. Yeah. I mean, not to like hit like all the food trends at once, but I feel like they actually complement each other really well. Um, um, I do. Totally. Um, but I actually, I really love, okay, so you know, like when you're growing up, when I was growing up, we had the good seasons Italian dressing. I still feel like that's kind of where it's at for dressing. And I feel like <laughs> reverse engineering, that is a really fun thing where you mince a lot of garlic and yeah. use dried oregano and red pepper flakes and then use olive oil and vinegar. And it just, I feel like there was something to it, even if you're not doing it in the glass carafe. But I, I don't know. I don't think there's any shame in the glass carafe. Oh, and the little fill lines. I mean, like no. salad dressing was so simple back then. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what so about the flavor? That I what get. about on the dessert side, pastry side? Dessert side is I just always feel like chocolate desserts don't have enough chocolate in them. Like yeah. the, I just feel like no, but you cannot tell me that you put two tablespoons of cocoa in a cake and it now it's a chocolate cake. That is not a chocolate cake. That is like a beige cake. Like that is not. That's like a beige and white cake. So I always feel like whenever I know, and, I, and I, it's not that I need everything to be like completely over the top, but I feel like I just want it to be like. A, the color of a brownie when it's a yeah. chocolate dessert. And um, so definitely a lot of that. And then with vanilla, I love doing fruit desserts. I know some people like hate d- fruit desserts, but I feel like anything with like, I mean, as soon as we start having fruit worth eating again, like I love doing things with baked berries and baked apples and everything. Those are great. So do your neighbors know who you are and what you do? You like roll your eyes. So man, you got a no, story No, because my here. husband told my neighbor and I'm like so awkward. Oh, it's my so weird. No, nobody ever knows. It's great. Do like, they, do you ever invite him over? Um, like, oh, no, we were already friendly with our neighbor. But then my husband told her about my book. And now like she makes such a big deal oh, about cooking. And her daughter has a friend who's like, it's very sweet. But I was just like, oh, man. <laughs> she listen to this podcast. I've been living in this building for nine years. <laughs> no, no. I'm like, I've living in this building for nine years and nobody knows anything about what I do. And it's great. <laughs> okay. Anonymous. It is in the East Village. Yeah. Which is people assume you live in Brooklyn where we kind of all live. But you're you're not a Brooklyn food writer. You're a fucking East Village food writer. I don't know what that really means. You know, East yeah. Village is not really that gritty anymore. It's, Although I do always feel like I'm the only person walking down the street not smoking a joint. Like it's yeah. like it's nine o'clock in the morning and I'm coming back and <laughs> dropping my kid at school. And I'm like, am I really the only one not smoking up right now? So I guess you could say the East Village still has it. There's a lot of empty spaces, too. Like a lot of vacancy in the East Village these days, it feels. Really? Um, yeah, but... Maybe somebody's got an apartment for me. <laughs> um, no, I think people, yeah, when I was um, book touring, everybody just assumed I live in Brooklyn. I'm like, oh, that's because I have two kids and we eat kale. <laughs> but we don't live in Brooklyn. <laughs> I'm like, I live right on the other side of the river, though. It's super close. <laughs> Last one. Uh, your favorite mushy carb? Potatoes? No. Nope. 
Okay, I'm really obsessed with these slow roasted sweet potatoes I did last week. And I'm not really like the biggest sweet potato head, but that's part of the reason I cook with them so much because I'm always trying to find ways to like them more. But you roast them for two and a half hours um, at 250 and they get like, they're just like candy. It's like, it's so good. I I poured some Indian spices on it um, and like in the sizzling oil, but I actually think they're really good just like plain or like they need very little. Um, So maybe that's my current favorite mushy card. Very healthy too. I will close with one question. Are you seriously still off breakfast? Do you like not eat breakfast anymore? I came home from the gym and I ate a cookie today. Is that breakfast? It's just been a couple months. I have a gigantic cup of coffee, like a, like a huge sure. cup of coffee. So, um, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty hungry by 1130. It was just this stupid thing where I was eating breakfast at 1130 yeah. and then I was still hungry for lunch at 1230. I had to push them together. Oh, like it, it was like, I had, this had to stop. I had to, I had to, you know, split yeah. the difference. So, um, yeah, no, I've just been all, I, I still eat it. Like, right. if you put food in front of me, I'll be like, oh, look, I'll, yeah, eggs, okay, I'll eat them. But in general, I won't go out of my way to get breakfast. Well, thank you. You're going to sign some books and every you okay. answer a lot of questions. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. So we're recording here the morning of the news came out that Anthony Bourdain has committed suicide. Uh, it's incredibly shocking. It's 10 a.m. I just wanted to share my own personal Tony story. I met him in 2004 when I was a magazine editor. Uh, he came to a photo shoot. He was doing um, promotion for a cook's tour, which was his show on Food Network. And we'd actually met earlier in college. I'd interviewed him for Kitchen Confidential. I'm just remembering this. We actually met in, uh, in Madison, Wisconsin in 2000. So he'd been in my life, but we spent some time at this photo shoot and I got to know him and he brought his travel bag and dumped it all in this in this studio and we walked through um, all the different things that he brings to shoots. And um, it was a really... It was, a, it was a cool moment for me because I was just a fan of his writing. Um, he was like chain smoking the whole time, was a real, like a real straight talker, no bullshit kind of guy, had great stories, was incredibly cool uh, with, uh, with the staff. But um, I somehow got his email address, which was this weird AOL account. Um, years passed and I, I'd never, I never talked to him. And I want to stress that we, we weren't friends. We knew of each other. So um, my dad was turning 60, and um, as a journalist, we meet a lot of celebrities, and I typically don't uh, don't ask these favors. But I was like, man, it would really mean a lot if 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 Anthony um, called my dad on his birthday. This is like my idea, and this is like years later after this photo shoot, and um, he'd become much more famous. Um, so I took a shot in the dark. I still had that AOL account. I hit him up, didn't hear back. Two or three weeks passed, didn't hear back. My dad's birthday came and went. It was cool. Then um, it was around Father's Day, and I got an email from him, and he's like, and remember, I'm going to stress, we were not friends. This is not a, he, I was a stranger. He's like, oh, Matt, hey, nice nice to hear from you. Uh, I've been filming. Uh, sure, I'll give your dad a call. So I gave him my dad's f- phone number, and he called my dad. They talked for five minutes. My dad, I would bought my dad a mandolin slicer, and uh, the slicer... He was like, don't cut off your fingertips. That's the worst thing. Just don't cut off your fingertips. And I thought that was really funny. He just had his daughter as well. And I think they talked a little bit about parenthood. And it was just like the realest experience. And my dad, this was 11 years ago, uh, to this day talks about it. It's an important story to our family. We, 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 we joke about it a lot. And 
you know, Tony over the past 11 years has become so much more famous and I'm, I'm sure he probably didn't do these favors, but I'm sure on on the flip side, he, he did small things like this, um, over the course of his year of his years. And I think his legacy will really be a very generous human being and a very quietly generous human being. He didn't put any of his charitable work on blast. He really was, um, somebody who, who lived a life that was, that was real and, and really had a lot of respect. He stuck up for his friends. Tony did treat people well. I mean, it was obvious. Well, thanks. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Anna Hiesel and myself, Matt Rodbard. It is produced by Gabrielle Lewis. Our theme music is by Steve Rydell. Interviews are recorded live at Books Are Magic in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. Special thanks to Books Are Magic fam Michael, Mike, and Emma. Confidence wine supplied by Smith & Vine. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and see you next week.